0: The last Coffee House, we are talking about literature today. Literature Things Fall Apart by Cheni Achebe. This book was published in 1958. It's about the pre colonial Nigerian life and the sudden impact of colonialism on that culture. So, what are the contents? We're going to go through the contents, I'm going to do an analysis, and then we're going to talk about kind of big picture stuff about how this fits in. Okay, what's the content? What's it about? It actually, the title comes from, and in the book it has, this excerpt from The Second Coming. The Yeats poem, it has this excerpt from Turning and turning in the widening gyre, the falcon cannot hear the falconer. Things fall apart, the center cannot hold. Mere anarchy is loosed upon the world. So that's our context. And as we'll see, and I have suspicions about this particular reading of this book, but of course, that is talking about <laughs> that quote from the second coming is referencing kind of a biblical end to things. Anarchy is loosed upon the world. And this could be referencing the introduction of the Western and missionaries and that that crashed into Nigerian culture at a certain point. And so it's a kind of it could be a lamentation or it could not be of the lost culture that came before it. In my reading of the second coming, it doesn't seem like it has all that much of a moral interest interests one way or the other on one side or the other. And honestly, I don't think the author has much of an interest on either side by the same vein. Although, I haven't read any of the author's other works. This is the first work I've read by this author. So, I don't know. Maybe later, the author's clear about, no, I, I miss this, or I want that, or this is what I was saying, or whatever. But I, I haven't read anything like that. I'm taking the book for what I got from it. And to me, it seems like the author was very clear that... Oh, we'll get into it. We'll get into it as we go through the content. So, Okonkwo is well-known throughout the... nine villages that's protagonist and even beyond he was a famous wrestler so feats of strength there were previous wrestlers that had been impressive and he was able to oust one of the like the cat I think it was he was able to beat the cat who was the previous super awesome wrestler so this is the setup and there's like it's a tribe it's a village and there are cultural practices like having multiple wives like farming all these things are really important to this community to this tribe that was is the opening sentence. Here's another chunk. I'm not in into quotes yet. We'll get into quotes, obviously. But having spoken plainly so far, Okoye said the next half a dozen sentences in Proverbs. Among the Igbo, the art of conversation is regarded very highly and Proverbs are the palm oil with which words are eaten. So there's this strain and it's probably my favorite thing about the book. There's this strain of this background culture that is really the plot and everything and the characters are built upon. So you get these ideas, you know, like yams. Yams are really important Important. They're an important crop, and and the difference between men and women and how they're treated in the culture. There will be certain crops that are like women's crops, and then yams are the big crop that men are supposed to take care of. But Okonkwo, specifically, his character is really defined by his backstory, which has to do with his father. His father, who had, I think it was described as, led a contemptible life and a shameful death. Uh, So he wasn't a big fan of his father. He's afraid of being like his father. So he's constantly... He has anger problems and he's constantly trying to be greater and manage his families and be a major person in this tribe in the village. But he runs into it (laughs) quite a bit. He's worried that his son is too weak and his son expresses interest in things like stories and things that would be more artistic. And his father, Akonkwo, is more concerned about the kid learning learning all the, the manly things of figuring out how to deal with the yams and take care of the village and be a leader and get people in line and that sort of thing. But he doesn't see his son being able to do that. There are a bunch of, I think there was lengthy discussions about how yams work and how you have to farm yams, which I loved. But this is building up into the Feast of the New Yam, which was a big deal, big tradition in the area. And it's so funny because it really kind of outlines and underscores, outlines and underscores, Scores the uh, the history of how food and human beings, the relationship between the two. I don't know if the book really has an interest in this specifically philosophically or anything like that, but you get to see that throughout, how important food is and the relationship to food between the people and, and the tradition of going through the practice of farming. But again, his son loves beautiful stories as opposed to the more mechanistic things that are expected of him. And there's one story about the quarrel between the earth and the sky and there's this mixture of religion and artistry and artistic endeavors. But eventually, so things go along and there is wife killing there's other sordid tribe business that has to be carried out that Okonkwo is really affected by. He's affected by the wife killing too, by the way, but he's affected by these things. He's eventually, for something that he did, banished for seven years. There are secondary characters and tertiary characters who talk about the way men and women are supposed to interact and and the tribe's practices and, and the concerns about those. And then they get struck with the missionaries and his son- Okonkwo's son is enchanted by Christianity, and it doesn't end well for Okonkwo. So, that's pretty much the story. It's not an especially long book. I think it was a really good... It didn't meander too much, kind of raced through a lot of things, but it didn't feel like it needed to be fleshed out too much more. So, so that was good. Here are some quotes just so you understand the writing style and the kind of things it talks about. Quote, Okonkwo ruled his household with a heavy hand. His wives, especially the youngest, lived in perpetual fear of his fiery temper, and so did his little children, end quote. So this establishes the culture and the personality of Okonkwo ruling with a heavy hand, and there were multiple wives, and he ruled out of fear as opposed to, you know, just being appealing to them or something like that. Quote, do you think you are cutting up yams for cooking, he asked Nwoye. If you split another yam of this size, I shall break your jaw. You think you are still a child I began to own a farm at your age, and you, he said to Ikemefuma, do not grow yams where you come from. End quote. So he's talking to his son there, that he's doing something wrong with the yam. I'm just cutting him too big or something like that. And so you can see that there's this conflict. He's trying to get his son to be a certain kind of person, but his son isn't interested in it. Another quote, quote, and then the storm burst. Okonkwo, who had been walking about aimlessly in his compound and suppressed anger, suddenly found an outlet. Who killed this banana tree, he asked. A hush fell on the compound immediately. Who killed this tree, or are you all deaf and dumb? As a matter of fact, the tree was very much alive. Okonkwo's second wife had merely cut a few leaves off to wrap some food, and she said so. Without further argument, Okonquo gave her a sound beating and left her and her only daughter weeping. Neither of the other wives dared to interfere beyond an occasional and tentative, it is enough, from a reasonable distance. End quote. I like the little addendum pleaded from a reasonable distance uh, to show that they were still afraid for their own safety. It shows the internal psychology of the character, it establishes the culture and is part of the storytelling, and it shows that the protagonist isn't just a simple stand in for the writer to show how glorious he is or anything like that, but it's actually a critique in some manner. I wonder if there's so much going on here that that because all these the things that happen they happen quickly you know there's not like all this drawn out establish the scene and explication of the movements and set pieces and all this stuff there's not that kind of a thing it's just this thing happens and that thing happens and that thing happens and it's going along it'll jump years and years at a time but i wonder if in this part i wonder if it's a reference to because christianity is coming up here (laughs) i wonder if it's a reference to when jesus cursed the fig tree when it was out of season if, whenever it's got some kind of a connection to that but anyway so here it's just the character looking for a reason to be pissed off and finds a tree that had been cut or trimmed and so he finds a reason when she points it out then he, he gets his reason to be able to to attack her but that's one of the things so into my analysis now so uh, as i it goes through those are some quotes those are the writing style and one of the things when I was in my one of the things when I was reading reviews and responses and analyses of this book, it was kind of frustrating not just kind of frustrating, it got really frustrating because it's constantly referred referred to as like the African novel that people read the first African novel that got national recognition or something like that and it's it ends up being an incredibly patronizing tone where it's a novel Achebe's a writer and the same standards apply regardless of where it comes from and so to put it into this box of well that's why it's interesting or that's why it's special Special, that's why we should be talking about it, because it came from Africa, is really patronizing it. and it's really frustrating when people talk in those terms. So obviously there are more substantive things than it simply came from there, and that's the reason that we should take notice of it. And so when we go through the actual substantive standard assessment of this thing as a piece of literature, we can we can see how it goes. So this was actually written in English, and the prose is not mind-blowing, <laughs> but it's it's clean, and it's even, it's it's easy to follow. And one of the things like with Hemingway, when you read it, you get a good sense of the things that are happening and you don't have a lot of things in the way. Like when you read Dostoevsky, where so much, there's so much in there (laughs) where things aren't happening. It's just philosophical discussion or whatever that you don't really have a big sense of the events of the book. But in Hemingway and in this, you have a good sense of things that happen in sequences and plot points. You get a good sense of those things happening. Now it's, it's a second language as far as I know uh, I'm not sure whether the author started off with English or, or how much the primary language is in Nigeria I I don't know but I think it's a second language and other authors like Joseph Conrad and nabokov they wrote in a second language and while Conrad is kind of overly wrought there's there's something a little jagged to his English nabokov he writing in English as a second language is incredible it's got some of the most incredible incredible sentences of all time in Nabokov's writing. So, uh, somewhere amidst all that, you have this kind of prose, where it's in English, it was written in English, and like I said, it's not mind-blowing, but it's it's clean, and it gets things across. But I wonder, and this is of concern to me, how much of the Western appreciation for this book in particular has to do with, oh, I'm in this book, <laughs> because the Westerners show up at the end. And that was one of the things is that I enjoyed so much more just the cultural exploration and the characters in the beginning. I enjoyed that stuff so much more than once the missionary showed up and then it was like a, I don't know, it was like Robert Pattinson is, ends up, he's standing in the World Trade Center building. You know, it was like, it was too big, I felt like. And I get it, obviously I get it. And I don't see how the author would have written a book like this without running into that and not having that arc for the culture. But still, I just enjoyed it more without that, and I don't know how completely necessary (laughs) it was to go in that direction, and I think it somewhat undermined the grassroots value of everything that we were getting out of this book, so I don't know. But anyway, the characters are not simple. It's not just a likable stand-in for the author, author so you get to experience these things, which you see so much in, in terrible writing. Okonkwo is a complex character with genuine flaws, and the book recognizes that these things are flaws. It's not as though the author or the book merely says, this is how this person is, and this is the right way to be. It's it's not just saying that, which is what a lot of terrible books do, obviously. There's more complexity, and Okonkwo has backstory, and the backstory informs his personality about his father and the way he treats his son and he treats his wives. And there are a bunch of themes around how men and women interact or how they should interact but the book isn't really putting a dog in that fight. It's really just kind of exploring how these things have worked in pre-colonial Nigerian culture. And I wonder I can't remember now. I'm not sure whether that theme was picked up again after colonization and how that was explored but I'm not sure. The story itself isn't especially complex. There There are a lot of things that happen but it's just this thing and that thing. It's more a catalog of cultural practices. It's not especially delving into thematics or complex plot structures or anything like that. It's mostly a catalog of the culture with some thematics sprinkled on top of it. But it's it's easy to follow. It makes sense. And the, the things that happen do have significance. I'm not sure how much any given one stands out. Any things that stand out... In specific. I'm not sure about that, but it's mostly really straightforward. When it comes to the themes and the ideas and the storytelling, it's mostly straightforward. It has the themes about men and women, but those are, like, openly demonstrated with the characters, and it's a little in-your-face when it comes to demonstrating those themes. And it seems to me that the author is clearly critical of these historical practices, you know, how Okonkwo acts and what he does, and obviously things don't work out for him, and there's that one that I read you that was about how he came upon a tree and he was just looking for a reason to be mad and he was wrong about the tree. He was wrong about the tree being dead. So the author is clearly saying this isn't the prism through which you look for moral superiority. It's not this guy. And it could be a pure critique on culture historically and the sun could be representative of something more aspirational and getting somewhere else where you're interested in art and Christianity and that sort of thing. But luckily, happily, the author kind of holds those things back back, reins those in, and doesn't just blurt it out that this is what I think about this. He's telling a story and it's it's an interesting story. And there could be an embedded, it felt like there was an embedded attachment to history, even for all of its moral failings and just reprehensible things that it does. There seemed to be this kind of embedded attachment to it because it's, it's done with such care in talking about the yams and talking about the practices and that sort of thing. So I'm not sure. Now the women characters, I know there were a couple of prominent women characters in this but they do seem to be kind of limited when it comes to their complexity like okonkwo's complex but the rest of the characters don't seem particularly complex and they mostly kind of pop in and out to reference Okonkwo, which, uh, and I'm sure I've criticized this before about things being centered around the protagonist, but it's in a different way in this structure. So they do, they have more tethering than you would see in most things, but also Okonkwo's not just like some simple, straightforward protagonist that's just being tossed around by things. You know, he acts... He has agency. He has flaws. There's real stuff going on here. It's just a lot of the other characters, and it might be by design or it might just be limited by the structure of the writing, but they don't have all that much to do or all that much agency. It's just, and they don't have that much uh, internal psychological complexity or anything like that, which I honestly don't see as much of a fault when it comes to this book and the way this book was structured and written. I think it kind of works the right way it needs to work because the central character is complex and has real flaws and and all that. so, so overall, it was it was kind of it was a refreshing read, and it's something that now to, let's get into the big picture talk here. <laughs> so I think it earns its place where it is on the merits of the writing, not because it's a book from Africa or we need to include a book from Africa or anything like that. It has strong aspects of it and has unique things to add by virtue of its substance, not by virtue of its identity. And this is one thing, there's this large movement now, and I don't know how much it's infected schools all over the place, but to try to diversify, in quotes, literature, because they see him as a bunch of old white men. And it's so frustrating, because it's like diversity to people who don't understand literature is just based on race and gender, because they don't want to take the time, or don't have the capability or the understanding to see the complexity of the way literature works. So instead, they just have this pre- Proxy, this easy proxy to say, well, if they're a different race or if they're a different gender, which is unbelievably superficial and racist or sexist, if they have those things, then they must think differently. So therefore, let's include them. That shouldn't be where it is. Faulkner and Kafka and Nabokov are extremely diverse in all the substantive topics when it comes to prose, world building, emotional interest, character structure. All those things are extremely diverse amongst those writers. And yet you would have people that would just Just shove them all into the same bucket and say, okay, well, you can only pick one of them. That's what's ridiculous. So just because all you see in a writer is their skin color or gender doesn't mean that's the right way to categorize people. Go dig in there. See what kinds of substantive things are being offered by a writer, and you figure out based on that, okay, where does it fit in the canon? Is it better than this book or better than that book? Does it deserve the kind of recognition it gets? Luckily, this book, I think it got the recognition. It was published in 1958. It was getting the recognition way before we ended up culturally in this place. So it has all the merits to back up where it is. (laughs) So that's good. So hopefully at some point we could just put this thing down completely and stop talking about identity and get onto the substance about what these pieces of work are trying to do and be able to talk about it in more substantive ways. That's that's where we need to be going. Anyway, this is the last coffee house. That was best of literature. This was 81. So number 80 is Hans Christian Andersen, Fairy Tales and Stories. That was a tome. Oh my gosh, that had a lot in it. So I don't even know how I'm going to talk about that. Jeez, just getting, getting PTSD from talking about the Decameron, however long ago that was. I don't know how I'm going (laughs) to talk about it. So Hans Christian Andersen, the fairy tales and stories coming up. And we've got a stretch that I'm just, I was not very interested in, which is not great to say to a bunch of listeners who are wondering if they should listen to it. Wait, Things Fall Apart was 80. So we're going on to 79. Right, okay. So Flowers of Evil was 81. Things Fall Apart, 80. Fairy tales and stories of Hans Christian Andersen, number 79. Then Tom Jones by Henry Fielding. 78. Gargantua and Pantagruel. That was a tome under the volcano. I think that was that was actually there's something to that. I think I like that one a little bit. Then the Complete Stories of Flannery O'Connor, which I'm enjoying. Vanity Fair, The Old Man in the Sea. That's gonna be a nice reprieve. <laughs> Let me tell you. That's a short book. It's Hemingway, it's just straightforward. It's gonna be nice, nice breath of fresh air there. The Orestia Journey to the End of Night and Frankenstein will round out to number 70, and then we'll be 30 books in for just the best of literature plus all the other nonfiction stuff that we're doing. So almost there, <laughs> almost there, almost read all the books ever. So we'll see, we'll see how long it takes us. But this is The Last Coffee House. Thank you so much for listening. I hope all is well and everybody's happy and healthy and all that stuff. And we'll see how far this whole thing goes, our war with the microbiotics. And I will talk to you later. Okay, Bye. <laughs>